Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. Barry Peterson. You're a doc. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. Right. You're saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. It's no wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Jen Procacci, and you are listening to the Cannabis Hour. I hope you're all doing well out there, considering our smoky air and fiery statuses out in the county. Before I get started with the show today, I wanted to make a quick correction to the community calendar, and that is that the Round Valley Blackberry Festival has been canceled for this year, so that will not be happening here this weekend in Covalo. But moving on, I am going to be joined today by Bruce Robinson. He is an administrator for the Mendocino County Cannabis Equity Grant Program. It's called the Local Equity Entrepreneur Program, or LEAP. And we're going to be discussing all the great benefits of this program for our cannabis community and going over how you can get involved and apply for a grant if you would like to do so. Bruce, are you here on the air with us? Yes, I am. Good morning, Jen. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Bruce, where are you broadcasting from this morning? Well, I've, since uh, COVID, uh, I've actually had to relocate to a number of places, like a number of people during this challenging time, and I'm based out of Southern California these days. Oh, wow. Yes, I can definitely relate to your relocation based on the circumstances. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time to join us. Um, for all you listeners out there who might be wondering a little bit about Bruce, he was raised in Mendocino. He graduated from Mendocino High School in the 1980s. And after leaving Mendocino to pursue his bachelor's degree in business administration at the University of California, Berkeley, he went on to have a successful career working in the financial services industry throughout the country and internationally. Notwithstanding his global perspective, growing up in Mendocino made Bruce acutely aware of the challenges that his classmates and neighbors experienced in the cannabis industry, both before legalization and after. So Bruce is um, a hometown guy, and now he's back here helping us out, which is super great. And before we move on and talk about the program, Bruce, I just want to take a moment to ask you something I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your personal um, relationship with cannabis? Yeah, no, thank you for uh, asking me, Jen. And, and, and back in the, the uh, 80s, we used to say, well, I went to UC Berkeley, didn't I? And I grew up in Mendocino and left it at that. Um, but obviously, I've been around uh, cannabis for a long time now, having grown up in Mendocino have a number of, of friends and neighbors uh, who were cultivators. And just take a perspective of that. It's, it's been net positive for our community and, and I think for our society. And I'm just excited to see that 
you know, the rest of the world is caught up with what Mendocino was really ahead of the curve on, on knowing about cannabis. Great, Bruce. Thank you for sharing that with us. So Bruce, um, you work for Elevate Impact Mendocino. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that organization is about? Sure, sure. So that is our, our DBA, how we go to market. We're essentially a group of individuals, a consultant. Uh, the company is Forefront Partners. It's founded by my colleague, uh, Paula Groves. And we essentially help uh, counties and cities across the state and the, count and the country um, establish and manage social equity programs around cannabis. So we also have the city of Oakland as a client, helping them with their social equity program with grants and loans, uh, the city of Los Angeles, the city of Sacramento, and of course the county of Mendocino. And so we, we, look, we looked upon as kind of their outsourced um, managers of these social equity programs. Um, most of them are new in these cities and counties and uh, across the board, many of these departments of cannabises or, or programs are very much understaffed. And so it really is efficient for them to use uh, someone who's experienced in helping them establish these programs and then eventually managing them. Totally, and I think that's just great that the county has partnered up with your organization to help this grant program get off the ground. For our listeners who might not be too experienced with the concept of grants or social equity, would you take a moment to define what a social equity grant program is? Yes, and thank you for asking. So the state of California um, recognized that there was a lot of over-policing, over-criminalization of, of cannabis. And so there was various uh, funds established and the County of Mendocino applied and received uh, $2.2 million in 2020 from the governor's uh, Office of Business and Economic Development to essentially assist those who were uh, penalized by the war on drugs to actually come into the legal or regulated market and provide them with the funds able to either become cultivators in a regulated way or in the retail environment with dispensaries that we find in our more urban environments. But clearly in Mendocino County, it's more related to cultivation. And so these programs essentially provide the small growers or the small business people with that startup capital they need to start their business or to make it more compliant with the rules and regulations. And we know there's an, a, a very high um, degree of regulation that people need to follow in order to come into the regulated market. And this capital really helps them uh, do that. And so it, it's been implemented in a number of places. California is leading the way. I think Oakland was one of the first uh, cities to do it back in 2018. But we're getting inquiries from cities such as New York and Detroit as cannabis becomes legalized throughout the country to uh, help address this imbalance with people who were very hardly hit on, uh, on the war of drugs. And you know, it's trying to, uh, in a sense, uh, make it more fair for those individuals. And it's unfortunate that people are still you know, incarcerated due to this. And some of them have these, these arrests on their, on their records and it makes it difficult for them to get a job, hopefully, they can take advantage and come into the regulated market and prosper. 
Exactly. Thank you for that great explanation, Bruce. Um, grants are really wonderful in the fact that they are, are almost a gift. It's not a loan. You don't have to repay the money, although you do have to pay taxes on it and you have to fit into certain eligibility requirements in order to qualify for the money. And we are gonna go over all of that in today's program really thoroughly. Um, there's gonna be information on a workshop that's later today that listeners can also attend. And I'm going to give out my information and also Bruce's information so that people can reach out and make sure that they are able to access this program. This money is here from the state and it needs to go out and be distributed amongst community members. Um, that's the whole point of this. You know, I think I, I'm not totally certain, but I believe that if the money doesn't get totally used within the funding period, does Bruce, does it go back to the state or does it roll over into the next year? No, unfortunately, you're right. It does go back to the state. So we really want to encourage people to apply. Um, we have until the, uh, the end of this year, maybe a month or so in the beginning of 2022, but you're correct. If the money is not granted to the eligible applicants, the money should must be returned back to the state. Now, fortunately, the County of Mendocino has applied for another allocation next year. That amount is approximately $830,000, which is a much lower than the 2.2 million they were awarded for this uh, fiscal year. Um, but nonetheless, um, it is a use it or lose it program. And so we really want to get people to apply. Yeah, we have to use it, everyone. We can't just be returning this money at the end of the year. And, um, you know, we all know that this is a bit of a challenging time, to say the least, for our cultivators out there and, you know, manufacturers, anyone really involved locally in the cannabis industry has definitely felt the pinch. So it couldn't be a better time for folks to be able to access some funds to improve their businesses. So on that note, do you want to go over a little bit about um, however you would like to begin talking about the program? You know, we can talk about the eligibility requirements for people, or if you think that there's a little bit more intro folks need before we jump into that, I'm going to kind of give you the floor for the moment to just talk about the program a little. Yeah, great. No, I, I think we should talk about uh, the eligibility requirements. It, it's essentially a two-step process. One, you have to be deemed eligible uh, under the state criteria, as well as how the County of Mendocino decided to customize the program uh, for their uh, principles and guidelines. And then once you receive the, the LEAP designation, the Local Equity Entrepreneur Program designation, then you in turn apply for the direct grants or the fee waiver programs. So it is a two-step process. There are actually technically two applications. And so what I'd like to describe first is how do you become eligible for the program? And then secondly, once you're deemed eligible, what types of services and funds are available? Great, so, that sounds wonderful. Okay, great. So let me go through uh, the eligibility process. And as Jen mentioned, we will be holding a workshop today at 3.30 this afternoon. It's virtual. I'll be giving out my email that you can uh, email me and I'll send you the uh, registration information. And in that we'll go through a, a presentation but also have a Q&A session at the end. And that's from today, uh, 3.30 to 5 p.m. But essentially, uh, in order to become eligible for the program, 
an individual, there's uh, three uh, main criteria. Uh, one is that you're you know, currently either eligible to participate in the cannabis industry or intend to. There's a location criteria. You obviously need to be doing your business inside uh, the county of Mendocino. And there's also an income criteria. The county's decided that people of a certain income level should uh, be eligible for these funds. And then of course, there's a social equity criteria uh, to show that you've uh, been adversely impacted uh, by the war on drugs and the cannabis. So let me start with the license leap designation criteria. Um, you need to fall into one of three categories. You either obviously currently hold a cannabis cultivation permit and or a cannabis facility business license, or you've applied to the County of Mendocino and uh, submitted an application that's been recognized. This is an important point because as many of your listeners know, people did apply you know, two, three, four years ago and haven't actually received uh, their cultivation permit or business license, but they would still be eligible to apply to the LEAP program just with the receipt of that application submitted to the county. Um, and so those are the two main ways people become qualified and then you'll be um, eligible for some of the direct grant funds. If you're just thinking about applying for a license or cultivation permit, we have a, a lesser category called business information, and that just makes you available for technical uh, assistance services. You wouldn't necessarily be available for the actual uh, funds uh, that are available. Uh, let me talk a little bit about the location criteria. Now, as this is from the County of Mendocino's funds, you have to live in the unincorporated areas of the county. So what that means is people who live within the city limits of Ukiah, Fort Bragg, Willits, or Point Arena are not eligible for this program. Um, they have their own programs or whatever. These are county funds, not city funds. And so unfortunately, it's only folks who live outside of those four main cities. And if you go to the, um, the Mendocino County website, there's a little map there that can tell you whether or not technically your address or your intended business address is within uh, the city limits. The other main uh, criteria are the income criteria. Uh, fortunately, the County Board of Supervisors in July changed the maximum income levels significantly to make more people eligible. Uh, that initially was for individuals who were in the low income or extremely low income. And now that has been increased to the uh, moderate income. And that what I'm referring to is the California Department of Housing and Community Development income levels. So to put that into to dollars, um, previously, the maximum income for a family of four in Mendocino County under the definition was approximately $35,000. That has more than doubled to almost $85,000. So hopefully a lot more people will be uh, eligible under the new uh, income requirements or, or maximum thresholds. And then lastly, the equity criteria. What is 
the definition of a social equity uh, person. And so there are five main categories that the County of Mendocino has decided upon. Uh, the first one is that you have lived within a five mile radius of a camp raid at any point over the last 20 or 30 years. The second is that you or a parent or a sibling or child was arrested or convicted for the sale, possession or use or manufacture of cannabis, including as a juvenile. Uh, thirdly, that you're considered a cannabis industry participant, um, one who was arrested for a nonviolent cannabis related offense or was subjected to a cannabis related asset forfeiture and has you know, received a, a cannabis cultivation permit or license, or you've actually applied for one, or you've actually worked in the industry. And you can verify that with just a, a personal statement, a sworn statement. Uh, the two other categories that make you equity eligible would be if you're a cannabis industry survivor. And what that means is someone who experienced uh, exploitation, uh, domestic violence, uh, human trafficking or sexual assault while participating in the cannabis industry. And then lastly, someone who became homeless due to uh, a cannabis enforcement and suffered a loss of housing uh, due to that enforcement. So let me just pause there, Jen, and see if you uh, had any questions about that or I can continue. Yeah, thank you for going over that, Bruce. Um, it's awesome to hear these eligibility requirements broken down in a way, you know, that everyone can understand. And I just want to, you know, convey to our listeners, um, I'm reading these on my computer as Bruce is also, you know, verbally going over them. And they're pretty broad. I mean, I can't myself think of one currently in the cannabis industry out here who doesn't live within five miles of a camp raid um, that right. has happened at some point. So, you know, I really want to just reinforce my thoughts here, which are that there's a lot of money available for folks. And, you know, uh, most of us are going to be eligible, in my opinion, based on the equity criteria that Bruce just went over. So I really can't encourage folks enough to attend the workshop later today and get informed and apply for this grant money that is out there that can help us all with our businesses. So um, moving on here. Oh yeah, just going back really quick, Bruce, I wanted to touch on the um, income requirements. I think that is yeah. so great that those were tweaked by the county to just sort of represent something that's a little bit more realistic for the income levels. Um, Bruce read the one that was for, a a family of four, which was like $84,000. And I just wanted to quickly read the moderate income definitions for household size of one and two. So for one, household size of one, if you're just a single person cultivating is $59,000, $59.4,000 maximum income. And for a household of two, it's $67.9,000. That's great. I think that is so reasonable that that is where the county decided um, that this should land. And I don't know truly if that was a county or a state decision, but you know, again, this is, has become very accessible. I'm really, really glad to hear that. Yeah, and that, that was a county decision, Jen, and thank you for pointing that out. Um, you know, these programs as they, they're new for everyone, right? So it is very common for a city or county to adjust 
uh, some of their guidelines based on feedback from your listeners, from the constituency. So it's helpful that you give that feedback that that initial threshold wasn't um, as broadly reasonable and you know interpreted by the, the, the constituency that that just didn't make sense for a lot of people given their their landowners. Um, you know, they've got to run a farm or a cultivation site and more money than that comes through. And, and the way uh, you determine income is from your federal tax returns that you file with the U.S. government each year. And some people have said, well, you know, I barely make the minimum to become eligible to file my taxes. That may be true, but this is a taxpayer funded program. And one of the tenets of this program is that you should pay your taxes given you're being you know, supported by taxpayer funds. So it's a little bit circular there, but if there's anyone questioning, how do you verify your income? We, we do look at your tax returns and then a secondary source of, of income verification, such as a paycheck stub, a CalFresh benefits stub, um, public assistance, whatever it may be just to verify that issue. Thank you, Bruce. And you know, if you're out there and you're listening and you're like, oh no, I didn't file my taxes. I don't have that proof for 2020 to apply for this program. You're gonna get another chance next year um, to be able to use yes. your income for 2021. So you can still do it. And it's a great time to just get started. And I agree, filing your taxes opens you up to all kinds of um, you know, benefits and penalties, but this is definitely a benefit here. I wanted to ask a couple questions just about the restrictions around folks, um, the eligibility requirement that you have to be located in an unincorporated area of the county. Mm -hmm. Could you mm -hmm. just speak a little bit more to that and why that is um, a restriction? Yeah, so that's a fair point. Um, so essentially, it's a county of Mendocino program. It's the county that applied for the funds. Um, Ukiah, Fort Bragg, Willits, or Point Arena, those cities could have applied, similar to what Los Angeles, Oakland, and Sacramento did to run their own cannabis programs, but for whatever reason chose not to. So yeah, you do have to make that differentiation that the county did go out and get the funds and wants the funds to go to uh, people who reside in the unincorporated areas of the county. And that's the primary logic there. Okay, thank you, Bruce, for explaining that. Um, so just moving on, we just went over the equity criteria. Would you like to touch on the equity requirement documentation, you know, which is how someone would prove that something right. like this was true? Yeah, no, a very good point. So the first thing I wanted to just remind people is, is just to apply that this, the whole application process it's not like an exam where, you know, if, if you make a mistake, you're done and you're, you're rejected. It's an iterative process. You submit an application with the best documents that you have available. And then a member of my team uh, at Elevated Impact Mendo will review that and say, you know what, you need to substantiate this with a second source of income, or maybe you need um, a document that's a little more clear that proves that you resided near a, a, a camp raid. So I want people to understand it's an iterative process. It's not a yes or no, you submit it once. And so some people have given us the feedback where I was afraid to apply. Um, I didn't sure if I had all my documents perfectly lined up and they just didn't get around to doing it. That, that's not how we look at this. We look at it as send us what you have. Let's talk about it, what's need to qualify. And if you need to submit additional stuff, we'll just let you know that. So more specifically, uh, documents that are acceptable 
are in regards to the, the largest one that you pointed out, which is the, the camp raids. Um, there are newspaper articles that usually made reference uh, when a raid occurred or arrests were made or how many plants were captured. It's not always an exact address. You know, it sometimes just says, you know, Dos Rios Road near Laytonville um, or Springs Road outside of Ukiah, Compton Ukiah Road, approximately five miles, you know, uh, from the coast. So we try and triangulate based on whatever reference point we have. And literally we'll say, you know, if you lived within a five mile radius and the way you prove that is to say, I own property at this point in time, or I was a renter um, on a piece of land within five miles of that raid. And if you don't have your lease uh, or utility bill, you literally can get a neighbor to give a sworn statement that said, you know, Mr. Jones did live five miles down the road back in you know, 2004, and in fact, there was a raid. So the ability to substantiate these records is, is very flexible. Great, thank you, Bruce. That does sound very flexible. And I just wanna again express um, my gratitude to the county for partnering up with your organization to help execute this program and to come up with these requirements because again, it is just sounding so much more accessible than it did the last time that we discussed it. Um, all right, so I just received a question from a listener that I would like mm -hmm. to ask quickly before we move on. And this okay. listener's question was, what if you are the owner of an LLC and you don't have a pay stub or paycheck? What could one use as secondary proof of income? Because I'm seeing owner. here on the income mm -hmm. criteria, you need a tax return and then you need a secondary source of income verification. Right, so the, the business could um, submit its, well, you, you would still as an individual have your own income tax uh, filing, um, even though you may run the business through a, a, a company, right? And so, uh, you as an individual can submit your individual income tax returns as well as your company's tax filings. And that would give you two sources of income. So, so right now we are um, intending to give the checks for the, for the direct grants uh, to the uh, individual or perhaps wherever they have a bank account. But again, the it's the social it's the individual that's tied to the social equity applicant program. Uh, so, so I guess just to be concise, you as an individual have your own income tax return, and then your business would be the secondary source of income uh, return that you could file. Great, thank you, Bruce. That answers that question, I think. And you brought up another good point, which is that um, this program is granting individuals not businesses, although you can use your business records as proof of income, but Correct. the money is going to go to you as an individual person. And it sounds like yeah. it will be dispersed in the form of a check. At this point, I think that's how the county is looking at doing it. Again, this is a new program and they're, they're figuring out the best way to get the funds uh, to people through their infrastructure. And, and again, I just wanna reiterate, um, the grants are, are taxable. You should meet with your accountant or tax advisor as to 
uh, how you should receive the funds. Um, in fact, we can pivot to talking about the actual direct grant if you're deemed eligible. I do wanna save some time for that as well. The other thing I wanna point out is that the applications are done online uh, with COVID in, in the, this restricted access we have to our public services. Um, everything is being submitted through a website. So just, just to be clear about that, there are no paper forms to pick up at the county uh, courthouse or at the county offices. It, it is all being conducted online. And that's through the www.elevateimpactmendo.com uh, website. Great, thank you, Bruce. Um, we are at 9.30 here today, so I just wanna mm -hmm. take a moment to remind our listeners that if you're just tuning in, this is KZYX and you are listening to the Cannabis Hour. I'm your host, Jen Procacci, and I am joined today by Bruce Robinson. He is an administrator from our local equity grant program with the County of Mendocino that is looking to grant cannabis, um, cannabis cultivators and cannabis facilities folks uh, with some of this wonderful grant money to help their businesses flourish in our county. So we have gone over income levels and other eligibility requirements. We're going to be moving on to a little bit more of the nitty, nitty gritty now and sort of get into more of the program here and the grants available and you know the limits to the amount of money you can receive and everything like that. And I do wanna let our listeners know that in about eight minutes, I am gonna open up the phone lines so that you can ask Bruce any questions you might have. And we're also going to be announcing, again, the information for a workshop, a free workshop that is taking place virtually today. So stay tuned for all of that information and definitely don't hesitate to formulate your questions and to call in and ask those in just about eight minutes. So Bruce, do you want to um, pivot to the topic that you had just discussed before or that you had just brought up before I did our reintroduction here? Yeah, why don't I talk about, you know, once you're deemed uh, a LEAP grantee, what can you, what are you uh, eligible for? So the, the, the two biggest um, parts of the program are one, uh, direct grants. And so those are for folks who have a cultivation permit or a cannabis license or have applied uh, for those two categories. Uh, the biggest one is a direct grant of up to $50,000 for capital improvements or fixtures or regulatory compliance um, to bring your property or grow into compliance. And that, that's the biggest one that people are most attracted to. Uh, and that would be funds sent to you as an individual up to $50,000. You don't have to apply for the complete $50,000, but you're eligible to do that. And that'll be given out in two $25,000 uh, separate payments. The second program is a fee waiver grant for the uh, permits and fees you have to pay to the, can the county annually uh, for your business. And that's up to $7,000. That is not money that is provided to you at this point in time. That is essentially going to be an internal accounting uh, for the county's various permits uh, and departments. So you'll say, oh, I have to pay $1,100 annual cultivation permit fee. You'll take that letter, apply for a grant, and then that fee will be waived by the funds that the county received from the state. 
So you will not be receiving the cash in that instance, not the cash, you won't be receiving a check in that instance. It is just a fee that will be waived for you. Uh, unfortunately, you cannot get reimbursed for past permit fees or license fees. That's come up already, but the program is not established to do uh, back fees or, or, or license fees. And then lastly, uh, the, the technical assistance grant is for what we call business information. People who don't have a license or permit or haven't applied to the county, but just need technical assistance on trying to navigate the process to do the application. Um, so let me go in specifically because of what most people are interested in is the direct grants. What kind of things can you spend the money on? Well, most importantly during this drought is water storage. We have a number of applicants who are using uh, or applying to uh, purchase up to 5,000 gallon storage tanks uh, for irrigation. So they don't have to rely on wells or having water uh, trucked in, which is harmful to the environment and more dangerous for our roads. Um, another area we're seeing is some of the re remediation and relocation of cannabis facilities away from streams. And then also one that's coming up is installing a solar electrical grid system with batteries that allow you not to use a diesel or gas generated power. So those are some major areas that we're seeing in some of the current applications that I think everyone can use at this point in time. Wonderful, thank you, Bruce. I mean, that is absolutely just fantastic to hear. I mean, you can get this $50,000 and use it to put a pond on your property. You can use it to get a solar system. You can use it if you need to move a building. I mean, this is these are real, real scenarios that cultivators are encountering and things that are, you know, sometimes too financially overwhelming for folks and it forces them out of the program. So I'm just so glad to hear that this money is available. And again, I cannot stress people enough. I can't encourage you enough to apply for this program and try to get this money to help your farm or your facility. Um, it's available. And if we don't use it, it's just going to go back to the state, which would certainly be a tragedy considering how many folks we know that are in need out here in the county with assistance like this kind of stuff. Um, what about well drill drilling? Can folks use the money to drill a well? A well, hmm, that one hasn't come up yet. Um, I'd have to look into the fine print on, on that one. I, I know most of it's been around water storage, um, but I think there's some other implications about uh, when one wants to drill a well that we'd have to look at. Okay, thank you. And that brings up a question in my mind, which is what mm -hmm. do folks have to do who are grant recipients? They apply for this money, they receive the money, they want to use it for one of these approved uses. Um, what do they have to do to prove it? What kind of proof do they need to provide back to the county to show sure. that they use the money in an appropriate way? Yeah, very good point. So let me just step, uh, take a step back and talk about the application process, which will answer some of that uh, part of your question. One is you'll have been deemed, uh, these are the documents you'll need to, to load up uh, online uh, so that we can review your application at Elevate Impact in conjunction with the county. Um, you'll be receiving an eligibility letter through the first step process we talked about, deeming you an, uh, an equity applicant. Uh, second, we ask a question is, how will the grant help you uh, fund your business, right? Kind of give us a narrative as to how this is gonna help you. 
this third document is a business executive summary, which just kind of summarizes uh, how this will either uh, help you have a, a more bountiful grow or, or save uh, cost of not having to truck water in, you know, those types of things. And then also more importantly is the actual budget. We actually asked for a spreadsheet as to how you're going to spend the funds um, as well as a, a written uh, budget narrative that you would get from like a contractor. Some of these uh, expenditures do require a third party vendor or a contractor to implement. So we do ask that you try and get at least a bid if you will and, are, and most contractors are aware of how to write up a scope of work. We evaluate all these documents to see how you're gonna spend the money um, is it appropriate? Are the costs in line with market for what you're paying for a tank, et cetera? Um, and then it, due to the two tranche process, you'll get the initial $25,000 once you're approved and you'll spend that. And then you'll just submit the receipts to say, I paid the contractor, I purchased the water tanks for a solar system and I'd like the second $25,000 tranche. Wonderful. Thank you, Bruce, for explaining that. And we are going to open up the lines to callers now, and we're going to continue to talk about the program um, while we do that. So if you're out there and you are listening and you have a question or a comment for Bruce or myself about the information we're discussing today regarding the equity grant program, um, you can give us a call. The number is 707-895-2448. Again, that number is 707-895-2448. And we're going to take calls for probably about the next 10 to 12 minutes while we keep discussing the program here. It looks like we have a caller already. All right, great. Caller, you are live on the Cannabis Hour. Are you here with us? Yes, I am. Thank you. Um, so I'm wondering about this um, RICO suit um, that um, Sheriff Kendall is involved in, we believe, um, and um, confiscating, um, you know, marijuana from um, people on 101 and what's happened with the, with the money that they've taken. Um, and, you know, could this money be used for actual people to support legal situation rather than um, this illegal um, seizure of, um, of marijuana and uh, not providing back to the public um, the dollars that have been um, collected. Thank you, caller, for bringing that up. That is um, a huge news point in our community currently, so I thank you for bringing that onto the air today. Um, for right now, I want to make sure that we get everything covered with the program that we're discussing today. So I'm going to table that question um, moving on, but on the next episode of the Cannabis Hour or whenever it is legally appropriate for us to discuss that um, situation that's going on that you just brought up, I'm definitely going to be covering that on a future episode of the Cannabis Hour. So thanks for mentioning that. Um, let's see, we are waiting on some more callers here. So if you're out there, give us a call. In the meantime, Bruce and I are going to continue discussing the grant program here. So we just went over uh, what the direct grants can be used for. Is there anything you want to say more about that, Bruce, before we move on to the grants for technical assistance? Uh, 
Um, no, I think that I think that covers it. We talked about the fee waiver program as well, um, and that that's the second most popular uh, aspect of the program. And just reiterating that it is not reimbursable; that it's just for future uh, funds uh, going forward. The other thing I just wanted to stress is 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 important, similar to the eligibility application, is to get your direct grant application in for those. There's some people who've already received their eligibility letters. And I know some of them have submitted applications for just $10,000. Uh, you can amend your application to go larger. I think someone mentioned they only had, you know, two tanks, uh, water tanks in their budget. And I had to email them and say, you know, because of the change in the, in the board of supervisors, um, size of the grants up to 50. Now you can afford maybe three or four tanks. And if you just revise your budget, you don't have to go back into the queue. You can just, we'll just continue to process it. So that's something for those who have already been approved that just, you can just update your application for the new rules and amounts that are available without having to start over again. So I want to encourage people to do that as well. So I think we can move on to the technical assistance part. Um, the other question that comes up often. Bruce, are you there with us? Yes, yes, I am, Jen. I'm oh, sorry, okay, did great. I lose you for a moment? Just okay. lost me for one moment there, but you know what? Oh. I think it was a timely pause because it looks like we have a caller. So okay. let's, go ahead. <laughs> no, let's go ahead and take them before we uh, start this new topic. So sure. we're going to go ahead and put that caller through. Caller, are you here with us? You're live on the Cannabis yeah. Hour. Hi, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really glad you're having this show. And I just had this, uh, I was listening earlier and you were talking about how this program uh, is, uh, you know, in response to the victimization of growers uh, and the war on uh, drugs. And uh, I, I wanted to find out, get some more information, you know, because the sheriff, uh, Kendall, he keeps uh, raiding uh, folks uh, in Mendocino County, you know, the Comet program. They've had a whole series of raids recently. So when people are raided now, um, you know, even innocent bystanders, um, how does that affect their eligibility for participation? And, you know, why is, why, it seems confusing to me that on one hand, the county is offering people a way to, to get legit in the cannabis community. And at the same time, um, the sheriff, you know, Kendall's got his Comet team out there busting people right and left. Uh, so I mean, I'll take my answer off the line, but thank you very much for the program. It's really useful. Thank you so much, caller. I think that's a really interesting and thoughtful question, actually, and it's not something I had thought of myself. So, um, Bruce, I'm going to let you offer your opinion on that if you have anything to say. Yeah, I mean, government obviously is is uh, can be contradictory, and and people in different departments have different missions. Um, all, all I can say is I think you should voice your opinion as to you know, what, what you see happening in your communities and, and just make sure that feedback loop is there for the board of supervisors and for the department heads. But, uh, you know, it, 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 our country has this dichotomy in a lot of instances where, 
cannabis is still considered a drug by the banking industry and by the federal department, but yet many states have it, have it as a legal uh, substance that can be used in a, in a thoughtful way. And so, you know, I, I think it's just incumbent upon us to give feedback to our elected officials um, and how we see it can be better utilized and how it can be better treated in our communities. Thanks, Bruce, for that thoughtful answer. Um, and again, thank you to that caller for calling in and asking this question. I totally hear what you're saying. And I would also like to see more done to help folks that have not gotten into the program be able to access the program. Um, it seems like the equity program that we're discussing today is geared mostly towards folks that are already participating in the licensing program. Um, and they definitely need help, but folks that want to get into the program that haven't gotten in yet also definitely need assistance. And I think that that's a little bit about, um, I think that our technical assistance grants sort of dovetail with that nicely from what I understand. So I'm gonna let Bruce take it away on that and talk about the grants for technical assistance because I believe you don't have to already be in the program in order to receive those. Is that correct? Well, you, you don't have to be a part of the County of Mendocino's um, licensing or permitting process, that that is correct. Uh, you would still need to go through the eligibility for the LEAP program, what we call a business information. So that's an individual that meets the social equity criteria, meets the income criteria, but just doesn't have a, a permit or license or is even applied for a permit or license but intends to have a business in the county of Mendocino around cannabis. And so that's a much lower um, level of support. There's up to $2,000 in technical assistance to help that individual navigate the process to start or create a cannabis-related business. And some of those forms of services can be one-on-one uh, -on -one consulting, what help them navigate how to even apply um, with the county for a permit or license, which we know can be a little bit uh, overwhelming to folks. Um, what's involved in starting a small business or, or, or a small grow? You know, what are the things I need to take in consideration? Uh, the initial capital, uh, the getting of land, uh, either owning or, or leasing that land. Um, what does it mean to run a business and have employees and paying taxes? So those are the different types of services what we're calling technical service to help individuals who are deemed social equity um, get into the cannabis industry. And we do have a number of applicants in that category. It, it is a significant folks who, who are working in the industry now, maybe at a, at a lower level and really enjoy the cannabis industry and what it's done, but they just haven't thought about being business owners. They, they've mostly just participated as employees or workers. Great. Thank you, Bruce, for explaining that. I think it's awesome that that category exists in the um, application process. And we do have one more caller here. So we are going to take that caller and then that's probably going to be our last caller today so that we can really devote some time to promote promoting the workshop that's later today. So go ahead, okay. caller. You're live on the Cannabis Hour. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, I have a question about uh, ownership of the property where the it's a business information, but are you able to apply for these grants if you're leasing the property or renting it? 
Yes, if, if you were to get a, yes, the answer is if you're just renting, you don't have to own. That is correct. So that, that would not, you don't have to be a property owner to be eligible for the business information process. You, you can say, I intend to rent in a location that's in the unincorporated area of Mendocino, as long as you meet the other social equity criteria around income, uh, location, and eligibility. Great. Thank you, Bruce. And thank you, listener, for that question. Um, you do not have to own your property. Um, all right. We have eight minutes left here for the show, nine minutes left. So, Bruce, is there anything else that you want to touch on here before we move into talking about the workshop today and other ways folks can get more information? Yeah, so I, I really want people to take a good look at the program and, and, uh, and apply. Even if you just, you know, give it your best shot, um, I think it's worth it. I, I think it can help you. There will be subsequent rounds of funding. You know, we're already into, we could be in the 21-22 budget. So this doesn't have to be a one and done thing. You can apply again next year um, and receive two rounds of, of grant funding, or at least be eligible for that. Um, so you should look at this as a really good opportunity to help you grow your cannabis business. Um, just by becoming eligible. And there are different uh, pockets of funds, as well as the fee waiver, as well as the technical assistance. So there, there are a number of compelling reasons to, to put in the work. We've slimmed down the application. It's a lot easier to gather the materials and to describe what you want to use the funds for or the program for. And so I don't, you know, everyone procrastinates, right? You know, you kind of say, oh, it's like doing my taxes. I'll just get to it when there's a deadline. This is just the opposite. You want to get in early. Uh, the funds are on a first come, first serve basis. And so once they're all used up, um, you'd have to wait till the next fiscal year uh, to be eligible for the funding. It, these are grants at this program. They're, they're not going to be paid back. Uh, we have loan programs we manage in other uh, cities where the funds are replenished and you can wait in the queue for the loans to be paid back and then they're re-lent out. With this program, it's just a grant. It goes to the individual. And once it's once all the money has been uh, given to all the applicants, you'll have to wait until the next funding cycle, which, mind you, is a much lower amount that's been granted this year. So, Bruce, do you is that lower amount going to affect the size of the grants that are um, given in the next funding yeah. cycle? Yeah, it's a very good question, and it hasn't been determined yet uh, by the Board of Supervisors, frankly. So the, just to give you a sense of the amounts, this year is $2.2 million, and the amount that they've been granted for next year is, is $832,000. So a much smaller pool of funding um, will be available next year. Right. So less than half of what is available now. Correct. And so Correct. if I understand what you're saying here, there's no hard deadline, but the grants are given first come first serve. So the money will sort of slowly be running out and then the, it replenishes for the next fiscal year. So what is that cut off for the next fiscal year? Uh, well, the most important thing is this year. So we're looking at, um, I think, toward the end of the year by December or January of, of this, this winter, you'd have to have your application in so that we can get the funds out by the end of February, which is the last day of uh, February 28th of 2022, when we have to have designated the, the applicants to receive the funds. Otherwise, then the money does go back to the state. 
Oh, that's another great point there. So will everyone be getting a disbursement of their funds in February or will the funds be dispersed yeah. as they are granted? Yeah, no, very good question. People ask how long will it take? So the actual step one to become eligible is taking about, I guess, about four to six weeks. And then once you submit your direct grant, um, that'll take another, we're not sure at this point because the county hasn't processed a, a check yet, um, but anticipating six to eight weeks. So we're looking at a process that could be as long as three months from the time you apply to the time you receive funds. Um, but it's on a rolling basis. You know, as soon as we get it, we evaluate the applicants and then we make the recommendations to the county and then they'll start processing uh, the checks for payment. Great, thank you. And I had a question pop up um, just mm. really quickly in my mind here. So when we're talking about folks needing to reside in an unincorporated area of the county in order to be eligible mm -hmm. for the grants, um, is that ta that's talking about their personal residence, not the location of their cultivation site? Because some folks no, don't reside in the same place that they farm. Right. No, it's, it's just the opposite. It's actually, where is the cultivation site? It, it, it goes back to the cultivation site, is, I, I believe. Um, okay, I'll great. Double check, but the, that, that's the concern. So if you lived in the area, but then the cultivation site is out in the county and outside of the city is what they, they look at. Okay, great. So folks could be like living in town and let's say in Willits or Ukiah, but their farm is out in an unincorporated Correct. area of the county, they're going to be eligible because their farm is the one that needs to be in the place that is unincorporated. Correct. Okay, great. All right, great. Well, we're sort of reaching the end of our time here today. So mm -hmm. I just want to remind our listeners, um, we've been here today with Bruce Robinson. He is an administrator working with the county for our social equity grant program here, LEAP. It's a really wonderful opportunity. Um, you can get money for things like water tanks, fixing your roads, getting a solar system. This is money that you pay taxes on, but you do not have to repay it. It is not a loan, it is a grant. It is a really fabulous opportunity. I really can't stress enough how much folks need to get out and apply for this money or it's just gonna be given back to the state. Um, there's a workshop later today that will walk you through the process and we'll cover everything we've covered in our show today. Bruce, do you wanna tell folks a little bit about how they can um, participate in the workshop today? Right, so you can email me at bruce at elevate impactmendo.com. That's all one word. So E-L-E-V-A-T-E, -E, elevate the word impact, I-M-P-A-C-T, and mendo, E-M-D-O.com. And then I'll send you the registration uh, link. Uh, it'll be a Zoom call uh, later on this afternoon. And then you're welcome to go to the website, www.elevateimpactmendo.com to see the application, the materials, uh, that are required uh, to become eligible and, and an overview of the direct grant programs. So we just encourage folks to, to do both of those things and hope to see some of you uh, later on this afternoon. I'll be hosting the, uh, the workshop there also. So it's a busy day for me, but happy to get the word out. Yes, thank you, Bruce, so much for taking the time to join us this morning. And I have just gotten one more quick question here. And I think it's something we can answer really quickly, which is once you get the grant, does it become part of your reportable income or you declare it as something else on your taxes? Yeah, so again, you should consult with your own uh, tax accountant about this, but our understanding is that you would have to file it as individual income. But again, uh, do consult e each person's individual tax situation 
is really relevant just to their uh, individual circumstances. So that's why we always encourage people to get tax advice around this. But our understanding is it is a taxable event for you. One of the, one of the strategies we're thinking about is you get your first payment in December, and then you get your second $25,000 tranche in January, right? So it's split up over two uh, tax years is one way to lessen the impact, right? And that's perfectly fine to do it that way. Thank you, Bruce. Um, thanks for everyone who joined us today. Thank you, Bruce, for taking this time out to be on the Cannabis Hour and to get everybody educated about this wonderful grant program, which is called the Local Equity Entrepreneur Program um, for Mendocino County. Again, Bruce is with Elevate Impact Mendocino. He is an administrator for the grant program. And please make sure to join the Zoom workshop later if you are interested in the grant program. Bruce gave out the information for that. Uh, you can also always email me at kzyxcannabishour at gmail.com for that information. Or if you have any other questions, comments, or concerns about the Cannabis Hour, you can always reach me there. We're going to be signing off for today, but I will be back in two weeks with another episode of the Cannabis Hour for you. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, Bruce, thank you for joining us. And I hope you all have a beautiful day. Generally. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.